back to the special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce. It's episode 119, and I'm joined on the line once again by Lux. Lux, how are you now? I am doing just fine. Excellent. Well, happy Thanksgiving, my friend. I know yeah. I know it's not Thanksgiving in the States, but it is up here, so we're going to wish you a happy Thanksgiving anyway. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> So how you been? We we missed a week, I guess. Stuff happened. Yeah. Things got wild. Uh, how you been? I've yeah, been doing good and been keeping up on like recent spoilers. Yeah, well, <laughs> good thing because yeah. there's lots of them. Holy yeah. moly! Um, I have to say we've been uh, inundated with product overload the last, I guess, month and a, well six weeks, I guess, and it's not going to lay off. We're going to re- be rolling right into Brothers War stuff here real soon, like full tilt um coming in real soon so uh yeah sit tight my man oh oh my goodness so yeah i know it's um a little much i have to say like since we've come back i think every show has been like going through previews and going through new cards for new sets and and sharing our opinion with the audience so and this is another one we're gonna be right back at it talking about new cards because um lo and behold we got we got we're right back at it can't even talk like card selections or budget choices or like stuff like that to help people keep the bottom line under control it's just like here's all the new stuff and um uh if you can afford it great (laughs) so a little disheartening a little disheartening hey your cowboys aren't doing too badly yeah and i happen to notice that but I know you're a Saints guy, so how? Let's check in on the Saints. How are the Saints doing? Honestly, they ever since and they lost Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Well, yeah, they, like Drew Brees um, couldn't play forever. Like you had a good run. Drew Brees was terrifying for years. They're not bad. They're two and three. They're not bad. I mean, I'm just saying that like, they're having to pick up the slack now that Payton's gone. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But you know. It's it is what it is. Like it's it's just it's cyclical how some teams rise and some teams fall. But those the, uh, that the and all of a sudden the NFC East suddenly looks like a very good division. Remember a few years ago when like the NFC East with like the Eagles and the Cowboys, the Giants, the Commanders were all like before they well, they weren't the Commanders at the time, but we won't call them what they were. Um, was uh, was like just the worst division of football, and now all of a sudden it's. Yeah. Oh, they're like that looks like a formidable division right there. Like, you know, three teams that are terrific. I feel bad for Washington, but Washington has done it to itself, to be perfectly honest. So they're kind of kind of a hot mess and have been a hot mess for a very long time. So anyway. Um, I'm sorry if anybody out there is a Washington Commanders fan. Um, that's my honest opinion on your team. They're a bit of a hot mess. It's okay. My hockey team is too. Don't worry. My Ottawa Senators. Uh, hockey season starts this week. There, Lux. So uh, the Stars will be hitting the ice again. But uh, the Ottawa Senators played eight preseason games. They went four and four. But you know the only four team. You know who they beat four times in the in the preseason? Who? They beat the Montreal Canadiens four times. <laughs> you beat the same team four times. And the funny thing is. Those same Montreal Canadiens are projected to be the worst team in the East Eastern Conference, yeah. and not by a, not by a little bit, by a <laughs> lot. 
And that's all the set. That's the best the Senators could do in the preseason. And I know the preseason doesn't matter, but if you can't beat somebody else's scrubs with your scrubs, it doesn't hold a lot of hope long term, right? So yeah, it doesn't matter in the sense of like well, the games start mattering come Wednesday or Thursday when things kick off. Uh, for real, I know Nashville and San Jose. I think it was Nashville and San Jose. They played in Prague. Uh, this past week, and the rest of the league starts on Wednesday, I believe. Um, but anyway, I'm excited for hockey season to be back. So anyway, yeah. all right, let's get down to some housekeeping, and then we'll get on with the show, folks. All right. So don't forget, if you like what you hear here on the show each week, uh, you can always go find all of our episodes for free at thelotuscouncil.com. That's the website. They are so gracious to let us host the website there. Uh, sorry, the podcast there. It is really, really important. Uh, and we think it's important that you guys as an audience can go in and check in for free. It won't cost you a penny, never will. Um, but they also have lots of other great content on the, at the lowestcouncil.com. Uh, they've had, you know, videos for box breaks. Um, they have a live stream with Twitch that gets put up there too. Uh, you have lots of really cool things going on. Um, but most importantly, you have the Discord. The Discord is a great community full of cool people who love to talk about the Gathering, love to talk EH. Um, we got some people playing uh, webcam again uh, on the weekends, so um, come and check it out. Lots of great people in there to come and, uh, and, and discuss and talk about all the new cards or new things happening in the world of Magic, the ban and restricted announcement, which we aren't even going to touch on, folks. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so come and check out the lotuscouncil.com and see for yourself. Tonight, Lux, our show is in three segments. We're going to have segment one, which is going to be our garbage or great. Uh, then segment two, we're going to have some previews from Brothers War. We have some retro artifacts that are going to be, a, that are coming out as part of the set. And they've got some new transformer cards that are coming out as part of a, a package too. Available in set and collector boosters. And then we're going to have a discussion around the 30th anniversary release that is um, getting everybody all hot and bothered. And last but not least, we have, uh, we have a, a deck with Aaron. Um, oh, so Aaron Benalia's... What is the card? Uh, Area Benalia's Ruin. So we got lots to talk about, lots to, lots to get to. So ready to go, Lux? Yep. All right, here we go. So tonight's Garbage or Great is Elixir of Immortality. This is a classic. I think lots of people run it. So it is uh, one generic for an artifact. This is two and tap. You gain five life, shuffle Elixir of, Elixir of Immortality and your graveyard into their owner's library. So it's protection from getting decked with your Elixir. So is this Garbage or Great, Lux? What do you think? I mean, honestly, I'm just gonna say it's hot garbage because, and then, like, what are the odds that you'll ever need this card? Like, you are rarely get decked. Yeah. So, I mean, so there's a couple of instances where you might play this card. There, are there guys out there, and the, if you if you're running Elixir of Immortality, we're here on the show. We're gonna come out and say this card is hot garbage. All right, but we gotta tell you why it's hot garbage. Okay, so. What this card's intention is in your deck is to protect you from being from being run out of cards. So if you play somebody like a Bruvac deck or something like that, you can put this in your deck and 
hopefully you get it on the battlefield before they mill it into your yard and you can have an opportunity to get it back. Uh, just like shuffle your whole graveyard back into your deck. Um, so that's the intention behind the card. Now, it does have secondary applicability in the sense that if you're an Artifact Matters deck, you have yet another Artifact you can slam in your deck. Um, sometimes the life gain is relevant, where you can trigger this of your own to gain life. Um, sometimes the shuffle effect is uh, is useful. So let's say you, you've, been, you've been scrying to the top of your deck, and there's nothing good on top of your deck. You have the capacity now to shuffle, and the shuffle effect is going to give you hopefully another look at what's on the top of your deck these are all useful applicabilities of this card however some thoughts you just food for thought as you're going through this right i've played i couldn't even tell you how many games of commander since i've returned from camp i've played at least two commander games a week so we're talking about playing at this point i'm back i've been back six weeks so i played a dozen to 14 games of commander since i've returned from uh from, from working at my summer camp this, this summer. And in exactly zero of those games have I been in danger of running out of cards by anybody. Before that, I can't even recall the last time that I was in danger of being decked. So the you're putting this card in your deck to protect you against something that is unlikely to happen. So you have to look at the probability of stuff because you only have 99 slots in your deck. And so you have to use those slots to the maximum efficiency um, if you're going to have, give yourself the best opportunity to win. Some people don't care, right? And here on the show, like, winning is not our primary focus. However, you want to, we want to give you a good opportunity to win. And if that's the situation, putting a card like this that doesn't actively advance your game plan is probably, an, probably not a great addition. This is protecting you from an unlikely situation um, where one out of every hundred games you run out of cards. All right, so I don't think like the, the the defense that is providing you is unlikely to be needed. Look, did you agree? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, now let's put this. Now those are, like, Lux, you play limited, right? And you're familiar yep. with the with the quadrant theory, right? Yes. So. In any game, we have four sort of stages of the game. We have the early game where you're developing. We have games where you're behind, games where you're at parity, and games where you're ahead. All right? So in which quadrant are you? do you want to see this card, Lux? Do you want to see it when you're developing your board? And honestly, like, you only ever want to see this card if you're ahead in in danger thing this is basically like a way of like oh hey and they they some of your good cards are in your graveyard they put they shuffle them back into your library you might just be able to get them on top yeah like that's and yeah you were you you noticed but you don't want it in the early stages of the game you probably don't really want to draw it at parity if it's not already in your hand to start the game as a still opening seven you don't really want to draw this when you're at parity because you're looking to advance your board. When you're behind, this is this is not catching you up. Like in most situations, so it, maybe it shuffles back that bomb or that really key key component that you have in your graveyard, and you can tutor it up again. But 
it's, it's unlikely that that's the situation. And then when you're ahead, yeah, sure, you might have some sort of safety net in your graveyard that you can then access to pull it out and like put it back in your deck and give you some 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 reassurance that you're going to be able to get there. But I so in none of those quadrants do you really are you really excited to play this card? Then think about it in the late later stages of the game. Let's imagine it's turn seven or eight lux, and things are things are getting wild. People are are slamming scary stuff, doing big making big plays. You go to top deck and you're like I'm running low on cards. Got three cards in hand, got a couple of medium medium creatures. I need something good off the top of my deck. And you reach for your card, you turn it up, and you get this. How do you feel? I mean, honestly, they they'd be they would definitely be a welcome sight. You think so? I think in the later stages of the game, I'm I'm I want something better than a, mm-hmm. than an elixir of immortality. But I think the only time I really want this card is in the first stages of the game, where I can slide it on the table and leave it there. And then not not activate it till I need it, and then when someone goes to Vandal Blast, activate it at instant speed and get and, and and rescue my stuff. But I don't think I don't want to top deck this on turn eight or turn nine. Like I don't want to do that. That's not. I mean, I we, we were playing on the weekend, and on turn nine, we were watching people take twenty points of damage. copied and brought into the battlefield and like no one really wants that so like no one wants that feel bad of turning up an elixir all right now let's talk about the life gain lux is five points of life something that you're actively searching for in many of your decks and the bruce i play obs on the five life is nothing compared to like the massive amount of life I can gain back. Absolutely, exactly. So, like the five points of life is probably not particularly relevant. Um, it's when this was in standard, this was a bit. This gaining of five life was big because you got to imagine in in sixty card formats where there's probably a burn deck running around. When you bump your life total up by another quarter, that's a big difference. But when we come along in Commander and it's being bumped up by an eighth and we have be- much better options to gain life, this is not not enough. It's not of enough of a reason to play it. All right? Now, let's also discuss what happens when you reshuffle those cards into your library. So, there is a, there's a, a, theory, a, a way of thinking around Magic that, particularly if you're playing a self-mill deck, you want to actively mill cards into your graveyard because it provides you with access to um, to cards that you might not have ordinarily seen. So um, the logic being you can mill things into your graveyard and there are ways to recur them and give you broader options than if you're just drawing off the top of your deck. A, lo- a lot of decks make good use of their graveyard as an additional resource. Um, so, uh, And because they're in your graveyard, they are accessible to you. If you shuffle those cards back into your grave, in your library, the vast majority of them are never going to be seen by you again. That's, I mean, that's that was the reason we got whole reason we got rid of the tuck rule with the commanders. Remember that Lux? Like when once upon a time, if you if you you could tuck someone's uh, commander 
into their library. And once it was there, it's like, like, you know, out of sight, out of mind in the library. The chances of them finding it was very low. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And they, we decided that this was not something that we wanted because, again, putting it in your library was, was almost better than killing it. So, yeah, like, so now you're voluntarily shuffling all those cards back into your grave, like, for your graveyard, into your deck, knowing full well the chances of you drawing, drawing well to get them, or, or if you're looking for something in particular, drawing the one you really needed, unless you have a tutor, is probably not really high. So, like, on every metric, this card is not particularly uh, exciting. But do you want to imagine? Do you want to know how many decks it's in? Many. So on EDH Rec, it is registered in thirty-nine thousand five hundred seventy-six decks, which, uh, granted, only represents two percent of the one point six million decks that it is registered in, or could be, or or could be played in. But it's still played in forty thousand decks. The raw numbers of that is astronomical. So here's the question, Lux. Are 40,000 people wrong or are we right? I mean, the way I see it, like those 40,000 people, they maybe they're just unaware that it exist. I don't know. Like, there's other options. If you are really concerned about some of this stuff, folks, like you can do better, uh, I think, than Elixir of Immortality. And so. You know, for my money, um, like, enhanced surveillance is an option that I like far better than Elixir of Immortality. Because what it, the text on enhanced surveillance, and I think you would probably appreciate this, Lux. It's the one from uh, Guilds of Ravnica that says, you may look at, look at an additional two cards each time you surveil. And then you can exile it at instant speed from your, from your, from your uh, board to... Shuffle your graveyard into your library. So if you want to get into the surveil mechanic and play that, which is like admittedly a very powerful mechanic, like you can do a lot of good with enhanced surveillance. Now you have to enable it and build it right, but that's a, like that to me is a more useful card in terms of providing with card selection, providing providing with good tools for you to to use to advance your board state. Um, and far better than Elixir of Immortality. Um, another one there, folks, we have Felden's Cane, which is a classic card from, uh, originally from Antiquities, but it is, was printed in Chronicles. Uh, and so it's one mana, artifact, tap it, remove Felden's Cane from the game, shuffle your graveyard into your library. So for the same mana cost as an Elixir, and no mana to activate it, you can just shuffle your library which i think or shuffle your graveyard in your library which i think is a vast upgrade on elixir and you can still get copies of felden's cane for 25 cents like there's printed in chronicles fifth edition time spiral time spiral time shifted you can get these cards for quite affordable prices so you know you'd, you'd want to do that Last but not least, something to think about is Gaia's Blessing. There's one in a green for a sorcery. 
Okay, not awesome. Sorcery is okay. But target players shuffle up to three target cards from their graveyard into their library. So if you're missing key cards, you can do that. It then also says draw a card. And then it says when Guy's Blessing is put into your graveyard from your library. So if somebody mills it or whatever, shuffle your graveyard in your library. So it's got an incidental trigger where if it gets milled or whatever, it just automatically does it. And it puts your library your graveyard back into your shuffles it back into your library. I think these are all more reasonable choices. Um, Guy's Blessing is again 25 cents from uh, most recently from Mystery Boosters and Dominaria. Um, and I imagine we'll probably see it again when Dominaria gets remastered next spring. But um, but yeah, so those are sort of my thoughts on Elixir here. Like, I don't like it, I think it's we can do a lot better and. We really ought to. If we're if this is an effect we need, there are better ways to get this effect than playing Elixir. Any final thoughts, Lux, on on Elixir of Immortality? And honestly, they it's it's just not something that I'd play. No, I I think for me that the 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 thing that tipped it in in favor of me not playing this card was very definitely the thought that like what happens if i draw this on turn eight when i'm probably behind the eight ball and really need to catch up and this is what i draw like no i want to have almost anything else than elixir like elixir is the play i make turn one if i don't have a saw ring and i slip it out there and i sort of like leave it out there but i'm not a big fan i just don't all right we're good. We've come down to the conclusion. It is a bad card. It is garbage. So audience, yep. don't play it. That's the that's that's our that's our synopsis. Don't run it. Don't play it. You can do better. Let's find something better to put in your decks. All right. Segment two, my my friend. We have some brothers wars preview. Well, where shall we get started? Let's. Do you want me to do Surge Engine? You can do Urza, or do you want to do it the other way around? And you can do it. All right, I will do Surge Engine. Surge Engine. Two generic. Artifact creature construct with Defender. Blue. Surge Engine loses Defender and gains. This creature can't be blocked. Two and a blue. Surge Engine becomes blue and has base power and toughness. 5-4. Activate only if Surge Engine doesn't have Defender. Four blue blue, draw three cards. Activate only if Siege Engine is blue and only once. And then it starts as a 3-2. So this is like the the artifact version of Figure of Destiny or the uh the black one from Dominary United, the Sleeper Agent. Uh or the there's a a white a white green one from Dragons of Tarkir that is similar in the sense that you have these three activated abilities that will that you know scale as the game goes on um what's your thoughts oh lux oh i can't hear lux right now are you still there <coughs> there you are what do you think, Surge Engine? And they, it looks okay. It looks okay, but that last one seems pretty pricey. Like six mana for three cards. Um, 
Yeah. I, I mean, I just sort of think this is a lot of investment to get this to be something good. Like, a two-mana 3-2 is fine. But if you wanted to have an attack, now you're spending three-mana to make a 3-2. Th- if you want it to be, like, do any sort of significant damage, you're now spending another three-mana. So now you're at six. Six for a 5-4. And then a 5-4 that says tap, draw three cards for 12-mana. Like I don't, I don't think I love it. I think it's, I think, I think it's not, a, I think it's not a great card. I think the number of times this card is, would be played and be relevant in a game would be very low, uh, if only because it's too much mana to invest it to invest in it to a point where it's going to be good. Like Lux, if I told you you get a six mana five four, are you are you excited for that rate? And not really. No, you're going to get Volpine Goliath before you get this card. Like, I, like honestly. Yep. So, I mean, this is okay. I don't. I think it's not going to make a lot of decks. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm totally out to lunch. My inclination is that this sort of card is cute. Um, it's probably going to be great and limited. But I think, as far as a commander card, I don't think it's there really. Um, and this is a mythic. So it's like very clearly people had high aspirations for this card to be very impactful. Um, I just don't think it's going to cut the mustard for, for commander. Anyway, you're next. What we got? Next up, we have Urza Lord protector for one white blue legendary creature, human artificer, two, four artifact and and sorcery spells. You cast cost one less cast and a seven generic. If you and both own and control Urza Lord Protector and an artifact named the Bitestone and Weakstone, exile them, then meld them into Urza Planeswalker. Activate only as a sorcery. Huh. Okay. So um you're getting a you're getting a goblin electromancer more or less. Granted this this also his artifacts and it melds into a into a planeswalker. Yep. So Meld is back. That's kind of cool. Um, this card is pretty poopy, though, isn't it? This this card is poopy. Yep. Yeah. So, like, I mean, if your audience, if you're running this, it's because you want to play the whole package, uh, which includes the artifact that comes with him or that he needs. And then this guy. So anyway, let's read the mind stone, the might stone, the weak stone, because it references directly. So um, five generic for a legendary artifact, power stone. When the might stone and weak stone enters the battlefield, choose one. Draw two cards. Target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn, and also has tap to add two colors mana. This mana can't be spent to cast non-artifact spells, and then it melds. So just from the outset, like. Before we turn it over and talk about what um, what the actual planeswalker on the back does, let's have a discussion around uh, the mystone weak stone. Do you think this is good? Yeah, definitely. Like basically, that second one, you know, that target creature gets minus five, minus five until in turn could effectively kill a heavy hitter with this. Oh, for sure. I know. Like, this is definitely, um, like, you could definitely kill 
like kill somebody dead pretty good and like that's that's useful you could draw cards which i think is useful um this the whole the whole package i think is uh is actually really good um let's but let's look and then oh yeah and then in fact it's a mana rock catastrophe too quite good i imagine that's gonna get played all right so let's look at yep. urza planeswalker melded now because i've got it pulled up on my screen you want me to go through it or do you want to go through it Okay, so Urza Planeswalker. So when you have the two, the artifact and the creature together, you can meld them and turn them into Urza Planeswalker, which says a static. Once during each of your turns, you may activate an additional loyalty ability of Urza, which means you can activate things twice. All right, plus two. Artifact, incident, sorcery spells, you, you cast this turn, cost two less to cast, and you gain two life. Plus one, draw two cards, then discard a card. Zero, create two one one colorless soldier artifact creature tokens. Minus three, exile target non-land permanent. Minus ten, artifacts and planeswalkers you control gain indestructible until end of turn. Destroy all non-land permanents. And you're starting loyalty of seven. So what do you think of this guy? Uh, okay, the that's in the Let's take a moment to digest what we've just gone through. Are any of those modes bad? <laughs> like, are any of those? I mean, seriously. Like, like what if we? They like, seriously. Like, what is this power creep? Like, like, not one of those abilities are bad. All right. Sometimes we get planeswalkers that have four abilities, like the new Jaya, for instance. I'm I'm playing the new Jaya on Arena, and she's got like her two plus ones are pretty. No, she's got a plus one. That makes a monk token. Okay, it's fine. Then the next one is exile a couple of cards. Uh, and you can pick one to play it. Good, useful ability. The next one is like, you can pick a creature. And when you attack, damage gets done to it. Equal to the number of creatures you control. Like, that's a bad ability. You're not using it. And I don't even know what the ultimate does. With all with, with Urza here, all these are, are relevant. Alright, so you put them in a blue-white artifact deck. You're gonna use the plus two a lot. If you just want to draw cards and 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 discard, you're gonna draw. You have Urza, like or is the plus one. You want to make bodies? Let's make some bodies. You want to you want to get rid of a problematic permanent? Let's get rid of a problematic non-land permanent. And then uh, nine, minus ten is blow up the world, and you keep your stuff. Seems good to me. So you know, Bruce. I feel like this Planeswalker right here is exactly what Wizard of the Coast had in mind when they made the Immortal Sun. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is why you don't play the... This is why, like, this is going to get hosed by the Immortal Sun, something spectacular. You just pray to goodness you have it. Or else you're, like... And this yep. is going to make the Immortal Sun... Like, I imagine people are going to play the Immortal Sun in constructed formats. Um, yeah, and, like, I like with this, though, I honestly see the Immortal Sun getting a spike. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I think you're absolutely correct. And I think this is the sort of card. And, like, there's the new Mishra is not different. I don't have a, We'll check. We'll talk about Mishra next week. But, yeah, Urza, Urza's kind of nutty putty. And the Immortal Sun would, would be one of the few ways, I think, that you can adequately shut this thing down without, like, like I mean, obviously, you're going to have to just kill it at some point, too. But, like, this, like your, you know, Immortal Sun would... At least make this thing have to work hard to to, to 
yeah. to get you. So basically, you'll hold Urza off long enough to where you can get something that can come. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, I like the card. I think Urza is kind of broken. Um, I mean, it's a lot of work to get it to meld. Um, like, let's be honest. In Commander there, folks, you're going to need to have the artifact. You're going to need to have the card. You're going to have seven open mana to meld them together. Like, the chances you're going to get it done are going to be pretty low. But when you do, that's going to be something that your playgroups could talk about for weeks. Yeah, because let me tell you, like, the Planeswalker in a part, they, at least they, with this one, they actually make you work. For the craziness that you're going to end yeah. up with. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm pretty okay with it. Like, you're spending a ton of mana. Like, think about it. It's five for the meek, the, the might stone and meek stone. You're spending three more on Urza. So you're at, you're at eight mana there to get the two into play. You need seven more. It makes 15 mana invested in Urza, the Planeswalker. So, like, this, he better be good because you're spending 15 mana to get him there. And I don't think you're going to, like... I don't think they're ever gonna make a fifteen mana planeswalker. So, yeah. Well, you know, Bant exists. Yeah. Well, anything green exists that makes a lot of mana. So, just Nick Nick those is a thing. So here we go. All right, moving on. Um, Mistress Foundry, you're up. And like, it's a like it's a normal land to like tap, add one generic, Mm. and two, and in a. Mistress Foundry becomes a 2-2 assembly worker artifact creature until in turn it's still a land. One tap. Target attacking assembly worker gets plus two, plus two, plus two until end of turn. So this harkens back to Mishra's Workshop. Is that right? Let's see if I, can, if I got the card right. Mishra's Workshop. No, not Workshop. Um, there's another one that's similar to it. Anyway, there's another like there's another card that makes metal work uh, makes um, assembly worker tokens like this. So it's a callback. It's kind of fun. Um, it may get played. It may it may not. I imagine it's gonna be more impactful in standard. Um, but I mean, who knows? So I think it's pretty. It's kind of neat. I like the art on the card. I think the art looks pretty sweet. Um, but yeah, so that's that. That, that art is going to look really good when you have it in uh, Borderless. And even the retro version. Ooh, that looks sharp. I like it. Anyway, okay. So, fine card. Anything you want to talk, anything you want to say about it? It just seems like a, like a pretty decent inclusion. And not really, but it's a good land. Yeah, it's fine. Like it's, if, you want, if you need it, it's, it'll be printed. It'll be fine. All right, next we have Queen Kyla Bin Krug, which is a, uh, for one, a red and a white, you have a 2-3 legendary creature, Human Noble. Four and a tap. Score, discard all the cards in your hand, then draw that many cards. You may choose an artifact or creature card with mana value one you discarded this way. Then do the same for artifact creature cards with mana values two and three. Return those cards to the battlefield. Activate only as a sorcery. She could be pretty cool if you build your deck right. I think that's a pretty neat ability. Yeah, they, they honestly, like, it's pretty neat seeing Boros cards that are not com- like, heavily combat-oriented. Yeah, like, it's, 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 it's very interesting. Um, I don't know how good it is going to be, but I find it, you're right, it's absolutely interesting. Um, and, like, and, and it's sort of some sort of equipment deck. If you can generate 
a larger amount of mana and untap her, you could do a lot of crazy things. You get a lot of powerful stuff on the board. So let me just see. Like, what is what's what's the Kiri's mana cost? So you could literally put like if you had this is your commander activated, you could put either either a Kiri onto the battlefield. Uh, so obviously the one you're looking for is a Kiri Fear, Fearless Voyager. That's your three mana your three mana thing. Um, you have uh, something like um, I'm just trying to think of something that auto equips pretty easily. Oh, Halberd. Halberd. Well, that's that's in that's in that's in green. But like you could get like a Rose Thorn Halberd somehow. I don't know if you could. I don't know if you're gonna, if this is going to go in the same deck. But like uh, Rose Thorn Halberd comes in with an auto equip. Um. Oh uh, yeah, because because uh, yeah, that works because Akiri is not a human, so Rosethorn Halberd, you know, auto equips to um, to Akiri, now giving you now the capacity to give it indestructible if you have mana open for it. Um, for two mana, you you'll get you know you can find something else. Who knows? But I, I think the card has got some pretty good potential for interesting. Obviously, artifact or creature-heavy build. Um, I'm thinking probably it probably leans itself into an art into a uh, an equipment deck anyway, because a lot of the good equipment are pretty pretty cheap in terms of playing. Um, so let's see this by uh, equipment. If I'm playing equipment, so amongst the top equipment. They are all three mana or less. All of them. Like that, this is so it's three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen. No. Fifteen cards down. The first one that's first one that's too big is Embercleave. But like things you have available to you to hit are like are kind of silly. And even then, once you get past once you get past the um like, you know, Embercleave and Helm of the Host, she goes back, there's a whole bunch of these things, that, these artifacts that are, you know, you, any sword you can pull out. You can pull out Commander's Plate. You can pull out Vorpal Sword, Loxodan Warhammer. Like, all these great artifacts are just totally being able to be pulled out of the deck by, um, by, like, this commander. And I think it's pretty cool. Like, do I know how it's how good it's going to be? No, but I think it's going to be cool. Lox, any other any thoughts from uh, Queen Kayla? Uh, no, no, feels pretty decent though, right? Like it looks interesting. Yeah. All right, then we have recruitment officer. You read this one. Right, for one white and creature and a human soldier, two one. In a white, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card with mana value three or less from among them, and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library at a random order. I mean, that's this is white essentially having a way to draw a card. It's expensive, like four mana to get a three a three mana value creature or less. But you could do a lot of powerful things. And it doesn't say it needs to be a particular like you could be play this in a deck that you're like, let's say you're digging for your Thassa's Oracle. Or you're digging for, 
um, some other three mana creature. Like you could do a lot of crazy things. Again, let's have a look um, at the top. You know, hundred creatures you could go find with you know this sort of ability. You know, ignoble hire, eternal witness, Esper Sentinel, Dockside, um, you know, Sisses, Faber of Elders, Reclamation Sages. Like you can find a lot of things. So you can cast a lot of stuff that is going to advance your board and you know make it make your game go smoother and 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 it's in white, which seems like another useful useful card, if not exciting. Any thoughts there, Lux, recruitment officer? Yeah, not no, really. It's a, it's a perfectly fine card. It gives White a little more card draw. It's hardly gonna like anything to write home about, but it's a good card. There's no doubt about that. Okay, um, we're also going to get some uh, some special cards that are reprints of some uh, powerful artifacts that have been around for a while. Um, they're and they're being printed in a retro border, so uh, we're getting Howling Mine, Ivory Tower, Jalen Tome, Lodestone Golem, Phyrexian Revoker, and Worm Coil Engine. Huh, wow, what you think about that? It, these are pretty these spicy, are, like, these are like. So I know everyone's gonna go Gaga for the Worm Coil Engine because A, it looks fantastic in that retro retro frame. Alright, it just looks fantastic. But like don't look now. Phyrexian Revoker is very effective. Lots of people play it. Um also Lodestone Golem is a very effective um very effective stacks piece that people play. So don't be surprised there. Uh, Howling Mine is surprisingly played too. Lots of people run it. Um, if only because they can, because it's an artifact, they can tap it uh, or untap it to negate the effect on your opponents. So the way it sort of works is like you play it and then like you tap it so that your opponents don't get the benefit of the second card draw. And then when you, on your turn, you untap, which means you now have the ability to draw a second card with, with Howling Mine. And you can play this game if you have cards that will allow you to tap or untap artifacts and it's pretty hilarious. So uh, all those cards are, are really good and look really pretty. Lux, which one do you want? I mean, honestly, they considering that I am building a Phyrexian deck. I am definitely going for the Revoker. Yeah. Revoker. How about the Worm Coral Engine too? Oh yeah, it's I mean, a Phyrexian. It's a Phyrexian they, worm, a man. Yeah, they they tell you like all of these are just really spicy. Oh yeah, for sure, pretty cool. Um, I I believe those are in there's the collector's boosters, I believe. Um, but anyway, that's that's what we know. Um, all right, then. Yeah, they, go ahead. Like, I was just gonna mention though is that they they in Bruce War they there was like one Phyrexian character that has been mentioned so many times and yet has never even been shown on a card that, before, like Gix. I think there is a card that's Gix. Uh well maybe there isn't. I guess there isn't. 
Oh, you're right. No, it's true. And they, let me tell you, they, they this would be the perfect opportunity for him to finally get a card. Well, he might get a card yet because they're going back in time. So, um, yep. because I believe the storyline is that they're having to go back in time to do something or other. I've forgotten what exactly. And so, is so they we had Brothers War, and then they Phyrexia all will be one. They supposedly that's going to be the original yeah. Phyrexia. So. Uh, I'm anticipating that there's going to be some sort of uh, there may be a, a Gix related card, but I don't know if it's going to be any good or not. Um, I also wouldn't surprise me if Gix appears in the Commander deck. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think that wouldn't surprise me if if Gix appears as a com- in the Commander deck. So, anyway. Because, yeah. you know, they got Yogg and uh, Modern they and modern yeah, oh, well, we've seen lots of the 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 pre- preeminent uh, Phyrexians in terms of like the the Praetors and Yogmoth, um, but we have. But you're right, we haven't seen um, we haven't seen Gix yet, despite the fact that he's been referenced. And he, he's referenced on what six cards at this point, and then uh, including yeah. three cards from the most recent set. Uh, well, maybe not two. Mishra claimed by Gix is clearly the. This is the Mishra who's the. We'll talk about it next week, but Mishra claimed by Gix is a card from Dominaria. So, anyway, sorry, Brothers War. Cool stuff. I think it's pretty exciting. I can't wait to, to see what more comes. Um, they added some more in. As if we didn't have enough. So, if you're Hasbro and you own the IP to lots of different things, and you're having two brothers fight, like Mishra and Urza did, you, do you have two other friends who... who two other brothers who fight lots? We sure do. And they're, they're, then that's their, I think, their excuse to go and play or, or build these, make these Transformer cards that are going to be available in set boosters and in collector's boosters. So, we're not going to go through each of these cards. There's another 15 of them here. And uh, what, do you, what do you think, though, Lux, about the Transformer cards that are, are coming out here? I think they look pretty cool. So, now, I'm, I'm significantly older than you. Do these cards resonate with you in any way as, like, cool cards that, like, or cool characters that you would be excited to see them on cards? I mean, yeah, because believe it or not, I actually grew up with the original cartoon. Hot damn. Good for you, my son. Well done. Um, I have to approve 100%. Audience, if you just if you don't know me very well, one of my favorite uh, favorite movies ever is the original 1986 Transformers movie, which includes the death of Optimus Prime, a giant planet-eating robot, and Megatron turning into like Megatron gets turned into Galvatron and voiced by Leonard Nimoy. And so like this is like like the coolest stuff ever to, to me. And now I see all these cards like so I'm gonna tell you right now, I was a kid, um, and I would come home from lunch and the Transformers were, were being played at lunchtime 
for kids who came home from school to, and we could so we could catch I could catch the Transformers while I was at home and then and head head back to school. So it's super cool to see these guys all these cards get uh get made with uh with the art from the cartoons. Um I mean I'm excited for some of them more than others. Uh like Megatron's cool, uh Starscream looks cool, Soundwave looks awesome. Uh, Optimus Prime looks okay, I guess. It's kind of like some sort of plus one, plus one, plus one team. Um, I do have some questions with um, with some of the cards. There's some weird inclusions and some weird exclusions. So, did you wonder why we got Goldbug and not Bumblebee? Like, Lugs. Come on now. Goldbug? Goldbug is what they did to Bumblebee like later on like in the series. Like that's not yeah. a good inclusion. That's like oh poop. Like I wish it had been Bumblebee, not Goldbug. Like that's so disappointing. But anyway, that's one thing. Also, where are Jazz and Ironhide? Look Yeah. Like, seriously, they, they... Like, okay, look. I love Prowl and Ratchet. But like, and like, but Blaster and RC are, like, second generation. Like, they were introduced later. And they could have sat out in favor of Jazz and Ironhide. They absolutely could have. So... Because, like, they... Now, the, the good part is they can they, go back to this well and, like, have a never-ending supply of... <laughs> cool Autobots and Decepticons to make cards yeah. out of. As- yeah, because, like, speaking of which, like, I know one in a, in a character that could definitely, like, maybe, like, be, like, a double-face card. Like, you remember the original Generation 1 Jetfire? Yeah, well, he's here. He's in- Yeah, so Jetfire, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, he, he could have been, like, a double-face card where, like, on one side... Decepticon version, then on the other side, he's the yeah, Autobot version. The MD, an MDSC, like a true MDSC, instead of like a, trans, a card that transforms back and yeah. forth. Absolutely. No, for sure. Because he was he was a Decepticon, and then uh, switched sides to go play to go fight with the Autobots. So, for sure. Um, also, uh, Grimlock will need a new card. Um, and all, so will the rest of the Dinobots. Yeah. Um, can you imagine Devastator? And the, oh, yeah, like honestly, like, that would have been so cool. I don't to know see. how they're going to do that one. Like all those, all those combiners that are going to be that could be yeah. built out. Like, how do you represent a five or six robot construct like Devastator or Bruticus or whatever? I mean, they maybe they can have like all of them on the field. And then like sacrifice him, and then like Devastator has like just like a single card. To like himself. the way they do with the Mech Titan core and the Voltron. Yeah, not even yep. what they do, and maybe they're they're trying it out with like the Mech Titan core. Um, and you're gonna get that with this particular effect. But anyway, there's a lot of cool things you can do. The other thing that's kind of neat is the the did you see the purple sides of them. Do you understand what the purple was? So the purple versions of these cards 
are where in a different timeline where um the the autobots are the bad guys and the decepticons are the good guys um because if you look at their color pa- their color pa- their color patterns or color palettes they all change like for instance like prowl and ratchet have all got red eyes like they're decepticons you go check out cyclonus cyclonus has got the blue eyes like like an like an autobot um it's super cool to see that like that potential um i mean the nice the good news is it doesn't change the functionality of the card but you know if you're someone who aligns themselves with the decepticons more than the autobots and anyway whatever you could do some cool stuff with um the purple sided cards as well so uh, i'm pretty excited i'm going to have to get them all there's just no no doubt about it like this is just cool that's my childhood come to life in my favorite card game. You can't, I can't ask for more. Like, all right. Last one before we get onto a deck tonight there, Alex. I promise. We missed, we, because we missed yeah. a week, um, we got the opportunity to catch up with the release or the announcement of 30th anniversary, which, audience, if you haven't heard this, they're going to be reprinting essentially what amounts to beta cards, um, similar to in, the, in a way similar to what they did with collector's edition and international collector's edition. So they're going to be creating an alternate back that is going to differentiate them from regular Magic cards, and it's going to make them to be non-legal in um, in in tournaments. So essentially, kind of like acting as like a proxy. Or as a card that is a that doesn't necessarily represent a legitimate Magic card that you can play at your favorite GP or Friday Night Magic. However, Lux, you know the price tag to go along with this is. You're gonna choke. You're gonna choke, right, Lux? Like you've heard this number, right? So yeah, you're buying yeah. one box of uh, or, or this 30th anniversary stuff for a thousand dollars, and inside each box is four booster packs. Four booster packs for a thousand dollars. Now, you could you could you could pop I, a, a I, black lotus. You could pop any of the mocks in. You could pop a dual land. You could also pop rock, uh, uh, granite gargoyle, or thought lace. And I, I, I'm like, I'm just like, I'm sorry, but that is way too much money for you could possibly pull this card. Yeah, like, like, yes, for for I think for you and I, Lux, I think I, I speak for both of us where we say like, dude, that is so much money. So much money. Like, I don't even think that that is, like, particularly relevant. Like, that is so crazy. So. Honestly, they, they, I'm sure you probably, like, heard people say this before, but this whole thing reeks of corporate greed. I think you're, I think you're, I think you're absolutely correct. I think it absolutely is correct. So, anyway, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of this particular, (laughs) this particular product now people in the community have been really upset about this for a couple of reasons 
Some of them are the opinion that it violates the reserve list, which is the, 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 the list of cards that Wizards has essentially promised never to reprint. Um, Wizards feels like this, does, this doesn't violate the reserve I... list. How do we feel about it? Do, you think we, do we think this violates the reserve list? And they honestly, they, they can yeah, carry us uh, over. Ex- to me, the reserve list is not something that's particularly pertinent to, to the way I play Magic. Um, and so I'm not overly worried about whether or not the reserve... Like, I don't think I own a single reserve list card. Or if I do, it's so poor that no one cares that it's a reserve list card anyway. I think I actually have one. I think I have a, a, card, a card called Implements of Sacrifice from Fallen Empires, which is potentially among the worst cards ever printed. So, just saying... Just because it's on the reserve list doesn't mean it's good. Um, now, other people said this is a pro- like if you're spending a thousand dollars on proxy cards. How, how do you how do you think how do you feel to that, Lux? I mean, honestly, they I could easily get a proxy of Black Lotus for cheaper. Dude, you can I mean, get way cheaper. You can order one now in the next five minutes. For a grand total of six dollars, yep. and have it be in your house and be at your house in a week. Like, there's so many fantastic people who are working doing proxy art that you could get one easily off Etsy for for no trouble at all. So, I mean, like for the amount of money that it would take to ensure that you get black orders from this and they can and and they collect this product. Like I could have enough money. Like I could use that money to get me like a full playset of proxies, and then grab a couple of Mr. Boxes of Rise yeah, of the yeah, yeah. So I, get, I to me, I'm not, I don't really view these as proxies anyway. I think what this what is happening here is that people are upset about the fact that these are can't be played at tournaments. My response, I think, is this: Wizards has realized that the largest quantity of players. And thus, the largest quantity of money available to them is not in the tournament scene. They have, they have discovered that Commander is by far and away the most lucrative avenue to, to milk. And with the, with the pandemic, where people are literally sitting at home with their webcam playing cards, if you don't have, like, if it's in a sleeve and, you know, no one's going to even blink. Like, I am almost certain that once these cards get into circulation, and if you happen to know a guy who gets one or two, like if you see it in his deck, you're not even going to blink. You're going to go, okay, that's cool, and move on. So, like, does it matter if they're like they're they're not proxies? Like they're just not. They're just they're just going to be legit cards, and no one's going to care. Honestly, if if if, if you're legitimately upset about these cards existing then i think you need to reevaluate i don't think i don't think anyone's going to mind now the matter may differ when you get to talk about like vintage or legacy or whatever like where some of these cards could be playable but even then i think let's imagine lux give it 5 years do you think anyone's going to blink when they say i'm i've got a 30th edition Underground C in my in my legacy deck. Is anybody even going to care? I don't think so, honestly. Is like. Go ahead. 
What do you think, Lux? I got you. Hey, can you hear me now? I got you. Lux, are you okay? Lux can't hear me. Oh. And they. Oh dear. Can you hear me? I mean, it wouldn't be an episode of our show without Lux having some technical. There we go. Yeah. So the like I was saying though that I don't think they'll bet really bet an eye, but they will. They judge you for spending that kind of money. I don't think so because I think people have already reconciled themselves to the fact that playing Magic is a very expensive hobby. Particularly if you're playing, sitting down to play Legacy or Vintage or something where those cards are, are pertinent, like if you're sitting down to Legacy you're, like, or Vintage, you're probably sitting down with a deck that's worth as much as a small car. At least. So, like, people, I think people get it. Like, and increasingly, you're hearing people who play CDH games <laughs> or uh, other such formats where they're legitimately like leaning into playing proxies to try and make it more affordable. So I don't think anyone's going to blink. You spend a lot. Of, you spend a lot of money, but not, you know, full retail for your cards. I don't think anyone's going to blink. Not even once. So that's what I think, though. Um, do we think this is a problem? Honestly, what do you think? Like, it's not exactly a problem, but like, it's still, they honestly, they with it being they are probably meant to commemorate the 30th anniversary of Magic. They could have done a whole lot better. You know what? Like, I think I just agree a slap in our like, face. Fully, like I think they could have done better. They could have had a better, more broad-ranging product. Like, unless you played. At, in the early 90s this is going to be like a whole lot of like what is this crap why am i opening why am i opening a hill giant so because they this is meant to they it's meant to commemorate the 30th anniversary and yet here they are releasing a product that really like a large majority of the player base well, won't well, even we'll be able to afford and many of them have never seen like, or they've only heard about. But like, I played yep. Revised. I was playing during Revised. And so, sure, it's not the same as Beta. But in Revised, there were so many bad cards. Like, you're playing, like, Merfolk of the Pearl Tridents. You're playing, like, you're playing bad, like, Scathe Zombies. You're playing Hill Giant. You're playing, like, Grey Ogres. Like, these yep. are not cards that anybody's excited about. Like... You were excited for a war mammoth wearing uh, wearing a holy armor. They get a four or five with trample. That's what we were doing. You know, like sure, you might have opened a Lord of the Pit or a Sarah Angel or something that was at least relevant, but like good. Yeah, because they like I, like I said in the previously, like I started playing around the complex. Yeah, like. You have no you, you you these cards don't mean anything to you, and you're like thousand dollars for that nonsense. Yep. No, thank you. I I totally totally support that. Like hundred percent. It's like it's like it's like failing to recognize that 
there's a large demographic in your game that never accessed these cards and never worried about it. So, I don't know. To me, it doesn't really make sense. I think they could have done, they could have developed a better product that they could have sold, even at this ridiculous price. But they didn't. Was... Yeah. You know, like, like for, and like, instead of this, like, they could have done something like a master set where they had, like, spicy reprints of, like, fan favorite cards from different sets. Yeah, over I mean, Magic's they've history. done that too. I mean, I, anyway, I don't know how they could have done it. They could have done lots of different things. Um, this is what they've done. It's fine. Like, really, it's fine. But it's not exciting. Like, I, like, I can tell you right now, I'm going to pass. Like, I will not buy any of it. I might find a few, if I find any versions of stuff affordable i might pick them up just for curiosity's sake but i'm not like i'm not i'm not investing a thousand dollars in this sort of stuff so i know there are people out there who will but it isn't for yeah. me so that's and that's and that's what i have to i've had to conclude i'm like like well that's that's not a product for me so how are you lux are you will you be buying much in the way of 30th anniversary stuff <laughs> fair enough no. Oh, anyway, it's like it's interesting. Um, we'll see. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch and see what people open when people do start getting their hands on the stuff and and can open it. But yeah, no, I'm not going to. Uh, I won't be. The other thing that gets in here is when is it being released? Uh, anniversary MTG. When are these? Is People are like just dumping on it already. Um, let's see, when is this released? Um, we expect the orders in North America to be received this year. If you live in other regions, so from sometime in the in the late in the tail end of 2022, North American audience can get our hands on this card. So just before Christmas, which is a great time to drop a thousand dollars on your on on your collectible hobby, just saying. Yeah, that's okay. While people are spending thousands of dollars on this, we can you know be what? enjoying I will because I'm, I'm looking for those Black Friday sales, baby. Baby, yeah. So, uh, yep. <laughs> anyway, all right, that's enough of that. All right, let's move on to a deck. Are you ready, Lux? So, Lux, let's be real. I was talking yep. to you before the sh- before the, we started recording. And I really want to see you build five colors, uh, five color Phyrexians, which I think sounds super spicy. So from, I'm putting you now on the spot next week for episode 120. And you have a list. Five color Phyrexians. And like honestly, I can't promise that it will I don't be even within care. our price range. It doesn't range. even matter. Just go hog wild, dude. Just go hog wild. All yep. the fractions. All the fractions. Like, it doesn't even matter if it's good. You're just doing it because you can. So um, tonight, we're going to have another Phyrexian, but we're going to have Aaron, Benalia's Ruin, which is an uncommon from um, uh, Dominaria United. Now, folks, I looked at Aaron, so let's read Aaron. So white, white, black for a 3-3 with Menace. And then white and a black and tap. Sacrifice another creature. Put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. And I was looking at this card, and I was like thinking to myself, this card is super interesting for a couple of factors. 
first off, it has a weird tension where it wants you to go wide, so you have lots of creatures, and then it wants to let you sack them to go tall or to play into aristocrats, which is like weird tension in the card. And I've been fooling around with it on Arena, and so I have a list. I don't know if this would be my, my final iteration of this list, or if I'd be looking for like more token building, or if I'd be looking for more um, more uh, aristocrat theme stuff to go and make the make the like get stuff. I don't, I don't know, but the 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 concept of Aaron sounded cool to me, and at twenty five cents. Sounds like something you could get yourself into at a reasonable price point. So let's have a quick talk about what the deck wants to do, Lux. Sound good? So some of the cards... Aaron's interesting because he's got a built-in sacrifice mechanism to him. Um, So you want to sack creatures to Aaron's ability to make your other creatures bigger. So it's good to sack creatures that have ways to be recurred ways to be brought back um, or things that leave behind extra tokens when they die. So, you know, as an example, let's look at the first card here on my list. Uh, Doom Traveler is a perfect card for this sort of deck. Uh, much as it's not a particularly exciting card, uh, Doom Traveler comes down very early. If you need to chump block with him, it's fine. But then if you can turn him into sack fodder for your for um, Aaron, then you're going to be laughing all the way to the bank. Um, you know, going down the list, other cards that have that sort of same effect, um, you get cards like Adeline Resplendent Cathar, which is a surprisingly expensive card, but you attack with humans, you make more humans, you sack the humans, uh, you make them bigger. Um, same thing with like things like Dive to, for, for an Alenda or Yeheni, Undying Partisan. These are sack outlets. They have, or they are payoffs on their own right. Uh, you have death triggers from that it can be doubled up on with Tesa Karlov. Uh, you can sack your Ao, the Dawn Sky, which is a very powerful card to do a lot of silly things. Uh, Liesa, Forgotten Archangel, is very good because if you start sacking non-token creatures, um, you can make sure that you uh, definitely get them back without too much trouble. So yeah, the, the, the creature suite is pretty robust. There's a lot of uh, creatures in here that are surprisingly expensive, despite the fact they're not hugely, um, hugely like staples in the format. So, for instance, you're running a hopeful initiate, um, which is from Crimson Vow, but you're running it so that you can try and put some counters on it, so you can use the counters to help destroy artifacts and enchantments. Um, you've got things like. Abzan Falconer and Einak Bonkin that are going to give you like reward you for plus plus encounters, and you got things like Elas Ilkor, Sadistic Pilgrim, and Blood Artist as payoffs for your, um, for your all the sacrificing you're doing. Uh, moving on then through like your your sorceries, you're going to have ways to uh, draw cards, to kill things, and make more bodies. Um, so you're going to get things like Dam and Feed the Swarm. Uh, you're going to get things like Read the Bones and Kaya's Wrath. Um, instance, the same sort of stuff. They're either, you know, cards or killing things or other useful abilities. Um, the one that really jumps off the page to me among your artifacts is a Skull Clamp. 
um, which is not cheap. But Skull Clamp is a very potent um, card when you have lots of tokens running around. But similarly, Halo Fountain could be another one that's a payoff for having lots of counters and bodies lying around that people haven't really talked about too much in a now since the springtime when I was unreasonably excited for a Halo Fountain. But if you're making lots of tokens, you now have the ability to make even yet more tokens with Halo Fountain and do other fun things. So yeah, um, and then your enchantments, uh, you have your Dreadhorn inv Invasion, which is like a Bitter Blossom. You have bodies that you can now use, um, hidden stockpile, more, you know, just payoffs for having things to sack, uh, Bastion of Remembrance, Wedding Announcement. Yeah, so, oh yeah, and Breeding Pit. Can't forget Breeding Pit. So, yeah, um, and the lands themselves, the lands are pretty pretty typical uh, in terms of what you sort of expect to see from a budget mana base. Uh, we have a Bright Climb Pathway as sort of the expensive non-basic land, except for Takanuma. Takanuma is very expensive, isn't it, Erlux? So, so Takanuma yeah. Abandoned Mire is at its base. So the non-foil, boring version is $11. Eleven dollars. Mm. That's in the states. If I was going to pay it in Canada. I pay more, like more raw dollars. So, like, and that's like Takanuma is like, let's say, like third on the list of like of of, of lands from that cycle. Like, Osage and Odawara are one, two, hands down. Then Tak. Then I would argue Takanuma is probably number three, but the di but the get difference between. Like Atawara and Takanuma is pretty significant. Would you agree? Like, if you're gonna build a deck yep. and you have, a, I, I'd rather play Odawara over Takanuma if I had the choice. Now I can, if I can run them both, even better. But anyway, and then Sokazan and then Aganjo are the, like the the last two sort of coming through. A Takanuma is still an eleven dollar land, and it's not even like it's that crazy a card. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, altogether, Lux, this deck comes in a little higher than we would normally have things come in. So it's a $200 deck, which, again, not outrageous, but is definitely higher than we've seen for some of our, uh, some of our decks. So things like, like things that got expensive that you could probably sub out, like things like um, wedding announcement. It could be like Dawn of Hope or something like that in there. Um, it's because wedding announcement is a ten dollar card because it gets played all the time in standard. Um, you know things like uh, Skull Clamp. Well, Skull Clamp's hard to cheat on the cost. Just what it is. Um, you know, same sort of thing with other sort of pricier cards. Like Adeline's just eleven, like eleven dollars. There's not much you can do about it. She's just a very good card. So anyway, that's the deck. It's not exciting and. It, you know, it's a combination of go wide plus counters plus some aristocrat themes um, and some plus one plus some payoffs with uh, the number of cards that pay you off for that. But anyway, the list is going to be in the show notes. You can check it up yourself, follow along, and see what you like. And if you like what you see, then you can build it yourself or you can uh, let me build it and find out how bad it is. I don't know. <laughs> your, your, your choice. But at least, at least uh, you show up to a game night with this, you'd have a deck, and you definitely have you definitely have a game plan, right? Yep. 
which ultimately, folks, yeah. is what this show is all about. We're giving you an entry point that is probably reasonably affordable, gets you into the game, gets you sitting down with a with a legit strategy, and then you know you can take it from there. You can build if you need. You can you know just build, bring the deck out when you go to go play with your friends, whatever. But the whole thing is premised on you guys having an opportunity to to play and have a, have a game, have a deck with a, with a game plan. In, in hand. All right. All right. That's a little long one tonight. Let's let's wrap it up. All right. All right. So, um, thanks yeah. so much everybody for for stopping in and spending some time with us. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, by all means, you can always reach out to us on um, at our email address at the Epic Experiment Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, we'd love to get email, so please email me and uh, tell me that you like the show or that you didn't. Whatever. I'm. You know, I'm a big boy. I can take it. Uh, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter and ask us questions, you can find us at, at EpicEXPCast. Uh, again, the link will be in the show notes, so you can you can go check it out there. Um, you can also find us on Instagram. It's your name, EpicEXPCast. You can find the same stuff there. Um, you can always find all of our decks available on Moxfield.com. Use, check out the username, The Epic Experiment Podcast. And uh, it's all also you can also find the show on all of your favorite hosting platforms like Podbean, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, or you can even find us at thelotuscouncil.com and even now on Spotify. So lots of great places to find us. Always, whatever platform you're listening to us, please like, subscribe, follow, all the rest of it to get the word out there. Help those algorithms figure out that we're here each and every week talking Commander. For you guys, so you guys uh, can uh, hear our thoughts and uh, join us in the conversation. Next week, we'll be talking about some more Brothers uh, Brothers War previews, because there's more to come out. I know there is um, more to discuss. But uh, until then, this is the Epic Experiment Podcast signing off. Wishing you all the best wherever you do next. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care.